0: Hi, this is Jimmy and Karen Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. And today we're talking about God's perfect plan for marriage. Karen, it's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, this is, this is a critical uh, truth for people to understand. And I know we have a lot of young couples who listen to the podcast. who want to talk to you about meeting each other's needs. But Ephesians chapter five is the most revelatory text in the Bible about marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's where Paul tells women to be respectful of their husbands. And he tells men to sacrificially serve their wives and to nourish and cherish them. And so the the thing that I've seen, and this teaching is gonna come up and it's gonna talk about this. Uh, in 38 years of marriage counseling, I've never seen a person who enjoyed uh, me reading Ephesians five to them when they're in counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, Interestingly, we love what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. Mm-hmm. Women absolutely love uh, what it says about their husband sacrificially serving them. But a lot of times they feel put down by the teaching, especially on submission, and this is going to explain that and help women to understand that. But it's not putting women down or under men. It's just saying have a care, be careful about your attitude towards your husband. Mm-hmm. He, he, his number one need is respect. But then men love the thought of an honoring woman. Mm-hmm. And the, sometimes they feel threatened by this, you know, nourishing and cherishing and sacrificially serving their wives. But if you'll just do what the Bible says mm-hmm. regarding meeting your spouse's needs and and loving them in the way that the Bible tells us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk in this teaching. When I say it's God's perfect plan for marriage, this teaching is going to prove that. But when we first got married, we did not do Anything the Bible said. I mean we, we were completely ignorant. Yeah. And it took its toll on our marriage.
1: Well and for me personally, it it was kinda of easy for you to dominate me because I was so shy and so insecure. And so but as I started improving on my self-esteem, I would get, you know, like, okay, well, if you're going to talk that way, I'm going to talk this way, you mm. know. And I would get a little sassy myself. But um, one, one of the things I love about the the Scripture is, is when it talks about being subject to, or submitted, actually the word for that means tender and soft yeah. and to be devoted. And so I think what a husband loves in his wife is, is not just the respect, which is the most important, but to, to feel like you are devoted to me, that you are yeah. willing to be tender and nice. And, you know, we all love kindness. You I know, mean, we all want kindness given to us for, you know, whatever is going on in our life. And I just think if we practice those things as couple and, and couples, it improves everything.
0: Well, and this is what I say, and this, this doesn't sound right, but it's right. If you marry someone normal, they're not like you. And when I married you, uh, I thought you were the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. I also Mm -hmm. thought you were the strangest person I'd ever known (laughs) because you're a normal woman. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want a normal woman. I I wanted someone that thought and acted like me. But it's the old saying, if both of you are the same, one of you is unnecessary. And so we're different. We're two halves of a whole. Mm -hmm. And the the world that you brought into my world, I, I disrespected. I rejected it. And I was, I was a very arrogant man. And I was very dominant, mm-hmm. and which is, you know, dominance destroys the goodwill of a marriage. And you, were, you treated me better than I deserved. But you did have, uh, you had father issues. And you had some anger and some resentment there that you took out on me from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And the healing in our marriage came when we stopped pointing fingers at each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I began to sacrificially serve you. Uh, and to meet your needs, uh, and and you began to honor me and respect me. It just the the vicious fight turned into a wonderful marriage. Mm-hmm. And so no one's no one's the exception. No no woman is going to be happy in a marriage when she's being put down and ignored.
1: Well, and I don't think women really want. To dominate a man, I think that they, the, you know, the whole thing of equality. Oh,
0: no, it's like <laughs> I've met some women; I think they enjoy it a lot. Well, but they shouldn't.
1: And so, my point is, you know, it, you know, there's respect both ways. Yeah. You know, and the Bible says yeah. that that we honor and respect each other. And so, I just say to any couple that's listening, especially the young ones that are learning, you know, be the first one, be no, the first right. one that's that starts exactly doing right. the right thing. Right. And it, I promise you, it'll start. You'll start seeing the the fruit of what you d- decided to do on your
0: own. That's exactly right. And the thing is, Karen, when you talk about, you know, no woman wants to dominate her husband, the thing I I believe about that is I think that no woman respects a man she can dominate. Mm -hmm. And that's not what she wants. She wants to be loved and taken care of. Mm -hmm. And and also men, uh, they never respect a woman who dominates them. And it never works. It never, ever works. So I heard a, a man say, my wife married me because I didn't talk very much. And then she divorced me because I didn't talk very much. And so sometimes the thing that attracts us in the beginning is the thing that causes the problems. And the issue is your family history doesn't matter. What your personal preferences are don't matter. What God's Word says matters. And it's the only thing that works. So we hope that this was helpful for you today. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. We love hearing how it helps your marriage. Now let's listen to this teaching on God's perfect plan for marriage. When the Lord healed our marriage, um, I, I asked the Holy Spirit to teach me how to be a husband. I read in John 16 where uh, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead you into, into all truth. And so we were on the brink of divorce. And the night that I told Karen to get out of the house, I, I asked the Holy Spirit, because she was about to leave. I said, teach me how to be a husband. And it was the first time I'd ever shown any humility or, or, or been willing to admit that I didn't know something. And He did. Uh, and it was a few days later, I woke up and I was praying and reading my Bible and the Lord said, turn to uh, Genesis 2. And I turned to Genesis 2 and I read that passage, you know, for this cause, a man will leave his mother and father, will cleave into his wife. The two shall become one flesh and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And it didn't mean anything to me. I mean, I, I read it. I just looked at it and the Holy Spirit said, just keep reading it. And I kept reading it and it just didn't mean anything to me. And then all of a sudden it just unpacked. And the Lord showed me that there are four laws of marriage. And what I realized was I was breaking all four laws. There, of all the four laws, I hadn't done anything right. And, and that's the reason that we were failing in marriage. Listen to this. From the very beginning, God told us the laws of marriage. That, listen, when God created Eve, immediately when he was finished creating Eve, he spoke those words. The laws of marriage were present. When God created the earth, he created laws to govern the earth. Laws create order, safety, and predictability without laws there is no order there's no safety and there's no predictability and that's the way most people feel today about marriage it's just it's just a crapshoot you know am i going to succeed you know are we going to be able to succeed in marriage and so you don't know you get married you just hope that you do but you don't, have to, you don't have to be lucky, it's not for a lucky few. Every single person can succeed in marriage if you follow the laws. Law number one is a law of priority, it has to be first, marriage has to be first. It has to be before your kids, before your work, before your friends, before social media, before sports, before everything else in real terms. It can't be second. For this cause a man will leave his father and mother. And by the way, there's a reason that we know that God didn't speak that just for Adam and Eve. They didn't have mothers. Adam and Eve are the only two people in the history of the world without belly buttons. Is that not profound? Aren't you glad they came to EXO just to find that out right there? And so they didn't have mothers. Why would God say that a man would leave his father and mother when they didn't have mothers to leave? That was not a specific statement to them. It was for all people of all times. You know, the law of gravity doesn't care who you are. You jump off the house, you're gonna get hurt. Doesn't matter what your name is, doesn't matter what your age is, nothing matters except the law of gravity is a law. It is good to those who honor it and it's bad to those who don't. The laws of marriage, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what your past is like. If you honor the laws, marriage is gonna be wonderful for you. If you break the laws, they'll break you. And we broke every one of them. The second law is the law of pursuit. You have to work at it. It says, for this cause, a man will leave his father, and mother and cleave to his wife. Now the word cleave or be joined in some translations, that's, that's just not, you know, when you think of cleave in the English language, think of meat cleaver, that's not a good picture to get in your head, you know, about marriage. It's the word Dabak. It means to pursue with all your energy. God said, if this, if this relationship is going to work, that you have to work at it with all of your energy. Marriage works when you work at it. And this is what I'm gonna talk about in this message is the law of pursuit. The number three law is the law of partnership. They two shall become one, one. It's the most profound word that you can use for unity is the two shall become one. You you have to share, marriage is about sharing. There are people that I counsel all the time, they're two individuals living in the same house who have nothing in common. They don't share anything. They may share children, but they don't talk a lot about the kids or pray about the kids. They're just two individuals. God created marriage to share. We share our lives together. The number four law is the law of purity. It says the man and his wife were both naked. The word there is arom. They were mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually completely exposed without any fear whatsoever until they sinned. And in the instant they sinned, they begin to hide themselves from God and each other because you can only be intimate in an atmosphere of safety. And when we sin against each other with our words or deeds and we don't take responsibility for it, we cannot have intimacy because this is the holy of holies, I can't open it to a person who's careless. And the way that you fall in love, by the way, when you were young and dumb and you fell in love, you naturally keep all four laws. The laws create love. The laws of love, create. you cannot create love apart from the laws of God. God has a perfect plan for marriage, okay? Genesis two is the most important text in the Bible concerning marriage, because those are the four laws of love. The second most important text in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter five, and we're gonna begin with an incomplete sentence, but it's a very important incomplete sentence. And so this is verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. I don't believe that men should be over women or women should be over men. I believe that we have an equal relationship under Jesus. Karen and I never talk about who the boss of our relationship is because the boss is Jesus Christ. And we make all of our decisions together. Okay, so when it's saying, it says submit to one another, then it tells women how to do it and it tells men how to do it. Okay, that's the context here. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the church For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife say that she respects her husband. So this is an extremely important text telling us how to love each other. You know, how, how to pursue each other. But now let me say, I've been a marriage counselor for 40 years. Okay. Um, I believe this is the most hated text of Scripture in the Bible. Now, there's only one that's hated more, and that's tithing in the Old Testament. <laughs> and except for tithing, I believe this is the most, because I've, I've, never, I've never read this to a couple and had them enjoy it. I've never, I've never read this to anyone in counseling and they say, oh, Pastor Jimmy, thank you so much. That just blesses me. Well, see, we like what it says about our spouse. We just hate what it says about us. If men don't know any other scripture in the Bible, they know the one about submitting. It says somewhere you're supposed to submit to me. I said, Karen, it was a near-death experience. I say that to her, you know, I saw, saw the tunnel and the bright light and the whole thing right there, you know, my sister almost killed me. So, Women love the concept of having a sacrificial servant husband like Jesus, right, ladies? We love what it says about our spouse. We just don't like what it says about us. We also fear to be the first one to go first. And so we want our spouse to go first. You know, women say something like, well, I would, you know, submit to my husband, as to the Lord, if he acted anything remotely like Jesus, (laughs) he acts more like the devil. If I submitted to him, it would just encourage him. And I'm on a mission from God to humble that man. (laughs) Men say, if I show her any weakness at all, I'll be doing housework all night while she's sipping herbal tea in the bathtub. (laughs) I can't show that woman any weakness. And so here's the problem, there is no plan B. This is God's only plan. There's no other plan, nothing else works. And so I just wanna prove to you in the rest of this message why this is God's perfect plan. And it truly is a perfect plan. Number one, the roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to our spouse and cause them to open their hearts to us. This makes us more attractive. Well, let me talk about men for just a minute. Number one need of a man is honor. This is our mega need. If you want to understand men, we want respect. We don't like being disrespected. It's, it's a terrible thing for us. So we want to be respected. So First Peter 2 says this, Jesus died for you when you were in sin and he left an example for you to follow in his footsteps. That's the context of 1 Peter 2. And then Peter uses marriage as the the example. It's called redemptive love. And he talks to men and women about how to redeem your spouse when they're not acting right. Here's what he says to women. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste and respectful. There it is right there, respectful behavior. Do not let your ornament be merely outward, arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be in the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. And so respect is so important to a man that we will change our behavior to a person who gives it to us. But if you disrespect us, we won't change. So it says without a word you can change your husband as he observes your your respectful behavior. And this doesn't, by the way, you're you're, your husband's equal. You can say anything to your husband you wanna say. But here's the question, who is the enforcer? You or the Holy Spirit? If you try to enforce it, you're gonna damage your marriage. So you say whatever you wanna say and you leave the results with the Holy Spirit. And I wanna say this, gentle and quiet is not a mousy woman. Because I know some of you ladies have very strong personalities. And some ladies will say, Jimmy, that I'm, I'm a very strong personality and that, that's just not me. Gentle and quiet is not a mousy spirit. Gentle and quiet is the opposite of rough and loud. If you get rough and, and by the way, gentle and quiet is the spirit of a woman who believes that her God is big enough to change her husband. So if, if you believe that God is big enough to change your husband, you, you, you're very peaceful in person, honey, You know I wish that you'd come home sooner, I wish this and this, you're very peaceful in person, then you get in your prayer closet and get violent and say, Jesus, sick that man. <laughs> Don't be violent in person and peaceful in prayer. There's a survey done of women when is your husband most attractive to you? University of Washington is one place where this study was done. And one of women's top responses is always, my husband is most, by the way, the survey said, when is your husband most sexually attractive to you? And one of the top responses is always when he's doing housework. He's most attractive when he's doing housework. Okay, well, that's interesting. So then <laughs> the University of Pennsylvania did a study on the effects of male sweat on women. Now, this has been replicated by several, okay? so. They took male sweat, and they, first of all, they wired women up so they could physiologically register their response to male sweat. So they had these women wired up, and they put male sweat on their upper lips. Now, that grosses women. all the women are gross. Oh, wait, wait, They didn't tell them it was male sweat. They told them it was a household product they were testing. Now, when the ladies found out that it was male sweat, a few researchers died. Let me say that but we appreciate their sacrifice. Okay, so, so this is true now. What I'm about to say is true. Been replicated, okay. So when women are under the effects of male sweat, they relax, they get happy, and they become more sexual. They become aroused. Okay. Let me review. So... <laughs> They asked women, when is your husband most attractive to you when he's doing housework? And then they did the effects of male sweat on women, very, very positive effects. So let me give the men here uh, the interpretation of this. (laughs) You're just a clean house away from the night of your dreams. (laughs) Clean the house, walk by, let her smell you, clean it some more. (laughs) That was worth the entire cost of admission right there. So isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that what the Bible tells us to do makes us more attractive to our spouse? Honor for a, a, for a woman and security for a man. It causes us to be, uh, open our hearts to each other too. Number two reason that this works, that these are the perfect plan, perfect roles, is the roles in Ephesians 5 release the potential on our spouse. See, God, God created everything that he created and said it was very good and blessed it except for one thing. A man by himself—the only part of God's creation that God would not bless. Genesis two eighteen. God looked at Adam and said, "This isn't good. I'm not going to bless it." But then in Genesis one, it says, "God blessed them. God blessed Adam and Eve." So God would bless them in a couple, but not by himself. If we if we could reach our own potential, God wouldn't have made marriage. God created marriage because we cannot reach our own, our potential, our full potential, without each other. And by the way, a forty eight year old married man has a 90% chance of reaching the age of 65. A 48-year-old single man has a 60% chance of reaching the age of 65. So men are dramatically better off with women in their lives. But let me talk about this for just a minute. Uh, Husbands, Ephesians 5 tells husbands to nourish and cherish their wives. Those are agricultural words. The word nourish means to feed to maturity. The word cherish means to keep warm. That you keep it warm, it's agricultural. The number one job of every husband is to be God's partner in bringing his wife to her full potential. A good husband is a good greenhouse. You create an environment of nurture and protection for your wife to become everything she should be. For centuries, men have been putting women down. And I I was a chauvinist when Karen and I got married. I had no concept that I was in her life to bring her to her potential. Honestly, I was just, I thought, you know, it's all about me and she just happens to be here for the ride. I honestly believe that. And when I changed and when I repented, I realized I'm here to help God, whatever God created Karen in her mother's womb to become. As a husband, I'm here to help her become that. And so it, that's, that's why we're there. Women, uh, it says for women, you submit to your husband as Lord, which is, means you respect your husband. In Proverbs 31, it talks about the excellent wife. And it says her husband is an elder in the gates of the city. It's attributing it to her is talking about all of her attributes. And it says, her husband is an elder in the gates of the city. Well, why did her husband become an elder in the gates of the city? She treated him like an elder before he was an elder and he became an elder. Men rise to the level of praise they're given. The more you praise him, you're there in his life to help him become all that he's become. And he can only become that in an atmosphere of honor. By the way, 1 Peter 3 that I just read there, it says, Sarah Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you have become her daughters if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And I told Karen, I said, you don't have to call me Lord. This is the 21st century. Just, oh, great one's fine with me. (laughs) I'm very humble and I don't need all that. And you say, well, you know, if I was married to Abraham, you know, it'd be easier for me to call him Lord too. Really? He lied twice about Sarah being his sister and she was taken by another man to become his wife. And if God wouldn't have intervened, there'd been a lot of trouble that he had a problem with cowardice and lying. And uh, so in spite of Abraham's issues, she called him Lord. A good wife is a good cheerleader. And there's two reasons why men love cheerleaders. I don't know about cheerleaders in women's sports, but I can just tell you in men's sports, we love cheerleaders. And here's here's the thing we like about cheerleaders. The first is they're always positive. We like that. The second thing is they know how to say negative things in positive ways, okay. (laughs) So the football team's getting killed. Uh, and they're just getting massacred, and here's what cheerleaders do. Cheerleaders go, defense, defense, defense. Hold that line. Hold. They're always real positive. They don't say, hey, you bunch of sissies, my grandmother could have caught that guy on her walker. What's wrong with y'all? Tackle somebody. And all the men would just walk off the field. And so when men do what they're supposed to do, women become women become in an atmosphere of security and nurture. Men become in an atmosphere of honor. A man will slide down a mountain of razor blades to land in a lake of lemon juice to hear one idiot say, you're the man. We'll go do it again. <laughs> we don't care about all that security stuff. Okay, so one other thing, and I'm done here. The, the roles, this is why this is perfect. The roles in Ephesians five disable our sin natures and keep them from destroying our marriages. We have a sin nature that from the very beginning, we have a sin nature and that sin nature will destroy our marriages if we don't neutralize the sin nature. Well, let me talk about the sin nature for just a minute. Now we all have a sin nature to sin against God, rebel against God, but Adam and Eve sinned in different ways. In Genesis three, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they sinned in different ways. The roles are different because they sinned in different ways. Let me talk about Eve for just a minute because Eve was the first one to eat the fruit. Okay, so, so Eve sinned uh, and what was Eve's sin? Um, She was standing there, the devil slithered up in the form of a serpent, began to talk to her, and she ate the fruit in response. Adam was standing right there, she never talked to him. We know Adam was there, because she ate fruit and handed it to him. God God lived with them, and God was about to walk up. All she had to do was wait a few minutes for God to walk up, we know God was about to walk up because God walked up right after they ate. And so all she had to say to the devil was, hey, um, let me talk to my husband here and God, let me get back with you on that thing, okay? Well, if she would have, she wouldn't have eaten the fruit. But she didn't. The, the sin nature of women in marriage is prideful independence. Feeling as though you have all the information, you don't need input. That's why Ephesians 5 says, you don't act without your husband. You submit, your. you don't act independently of your husband. You're not put under your husband in subjection. You're put equal to him, but you're yoked and can't act independently of him. If you cannot do what Ephesians 5 says, it means your sin nature is ruling you. Your sin nature is is harming your relationship. Well, what was Adam's sin? Um, Adam stood there, okay, first of all, Adam had been, God commanded Adam to take dominion, which is a violent word, to subjugate the earth by force, and to take dominion over every creeping thing that crept on the earth. Do you realize God was giving Adam a heads up of how Satan was gonna attack? And so Adam, Adam had been commanded to take dominion over the earth and over every creeping thing. So a creeping thing crept up and began to tempt his wife. He heard the whole thing, he was standing right there. And the devil's tempting his wife, what did Adam do? <laughs> that was his total response right there. Men's sin nature in marriage is apathy and passivity. Women get angry and act on their own and men go in the garage and build a project that takes for the rest of their lives. (laughs) Put on the green jumpsuit. So the Bible says to men, now listen, you lay your wife, you lay your life down for her. You nourish, the Bible says twice as much to men in Ephesians five as it says to women. You nourish and cherish her as you would your own body. You act, don't you get passive and check out on her. You act and you become a Christ-like husband. And when men do what Ephesians 5 says, it, it crucifies our sin nature. When I read this to couples in, in counseling, and, and I was the same wife you know, when I didn't understand it. When I re- read this to couples in counseling and they respond to me the way they do, that's their flesh. When you say to women, you're supposed to be connected to your husband just like the Lord and you don't act independently of him. And that little thing, little thing rises up. When you say to men, you lay your lives down for her and you, you sacrifice for her. Everything, you sacrifice for her. And that thing rises up. That's your sin nature. And it's, wanting to, it's wanting to destroy your life. But the roles in Ephesians five are God's perfect plan for marriage. It's, it's perfect. God made four laws that govern marriage and guard marriage and guide marriage, and we have a 100% chance of success. He also gave us a perfect plan, Ephesians 5. And as we're pursuing each other, we're doing so intelligently, according to what the Word of God says. And my encouragement to you is this, and you may have never heard this before, you may have never understood this before, here's my encouragement to you, and that is accept this for yourself, not your spouse. Don't, don't get in the car and say, well, I love what he said about you. You really need to do that. For you, will you do that? Will you accept that as the standard of your behavior? And when you fall short of that, will you take responsibility for it? And not not look at your spouse, not focus on your spouse, but but men, will you be the leader? And will you be a Christ-like man who lays your life down for her and makes her feel secure? Ladies, will you, honor your husband, and respect him. And just like you would Jesus, become the wife that he needs. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out xomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.